Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Silas Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Bishop Ann Henning Byfield, Working on Me. This was recorded on April 27, 2021. When I tell you today's guest is one of the most exhilarating, um, down-to-earth, authentic women I've ever met in my life, believe that. She is one who will keep you laughing, but keep you grounded. Mm. She is none other than the Bishop, the Right Reverend, Bishop Ann Henning Byfield. She is one who dares to live, learn, lead, and love God with creativity and passion as a bishop, preacher, psalmist, poet, sacred word artist, strategic consultant, writer, composer, wife, mother, and grandmother. And the list really goes on. Wow. I would add mentor, lover of people. I would add a whole lot of things to that. And if you've never heard her poetry, Mm. it's off the chain. She serves now as the 135th elected and consecrated bishop of the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Her historic, I'm going to say her historic election in the year 2016 represents the first time in her story of the AME Church, a person who who was elected who had a sibling on the on the bench of bishops. She and her brother are elected bishops. Mm. Her brother, Bishop C. Garnett Henning, she serves as the bishop of the 16th Episcopal District, mm. which includes the regions of the Caribbean, South America, and Europe. And and everything that she's done in these places, oh my gosh, has been historic. All the churches, all the people that have come to Christ under her leadership, she have to tell you that story. I could do it all day. She is the secretary of the Council of Bishops, the chair of the Global Development Council of the AME Church, the chair of the Women in Ministry, and a member, member of the World Methodist Evangelism. She is a... <laughs> She is a golden member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I want you to put in the comment section, welcome Bishop Byfield. Come on in the room, Bishop. Come on in the room. Yes, yes, yes. I am How in you the doing? room. <laughs> How you doing, Bishop? I am doing fine. Thank you for that introduction. And just thank you for letting me hang out with you sisters. This is a blessing and an honor. And Dr. Burns, guilty, 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 guilty. Yes. 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 (laughs) I tell you, um, Bishop, you are a joy and a wonder at the same time. And we're we're all great to know you. And and thank you for saying yes to the invitation. The one, the one, the first question that we always ask our guests, how are you doing in these COVID streets? I'm doing well in the COVID streets. Um, I've been double vaccinated. My husband has been. 
and um, most of my um, siblings have been. I'm my sister and other family members, um, but you still have to watch out for other folks. Um, um, Saturday, one of the fathers of the grandchildren, I had the grandchildren all week and came over and walked in the house and hugged and and he didn't have on a mask. And I said, have you been vaccinated? And he said, no. I said, well, you have to get out of my house. Right. Um, you, know, you can't come in here without a mask and be hugging me. He said, well, I haven't decided whether I'm going to take the vac vaccine. I said, well, then that's even further reason why you can't come up in here no more. Um, <laughs> and so I think that, you know, and my husband looked at me like, no, you didn't say that. And when, when oh, he left, yeah. I said, I meant every word that I said. That even though I'm vaccinated, I don't, you know, and I'm pretty clear about what that means for me is that people who walk in other folks' houses and have not been vaccinated and don't have masks on are rude. And then mm. you have to put them in check. So Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, you know, but I'm going to do as much as I can protect myself, even more so. Indiana is a red state. So our governor, you know, supported Trump and, and all almost everything is off. So everybody can go everywhere. You know, all the restaurants are open. Um, the bars are open. The shopping centers are open. The movies are open. So um, you still have to be very, very careful about where you go. But thank you for that, asking. Isn't that a shame? I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad, <clears throat> look, I never have to doubt that you will check somebody. So yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that, um, that you probably strongly encourage that he get vaccinated. Yeah, I, we, I this, the, the subject today is working on me. And I always hear you talking about, let's work on, let's work on us. Let's work on us. What does it mean when you say working on me? Um, I believe very simply Genesis 1, 26 says that we are made in the image of God. God created um, us, male and female created he them in God's image, and he told them to go and rule the world. Um, so for me, working on me means that we have to reach the reality of the vision that God has for us in our creation. So until we come to a point which we will never really in, in life reach that level of perfection, but that we have to see how God sees us, and we have to deny what the enemy tells us who we are but we have to see who god says we are um, um psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made so that we always have to work on ourselves to reach the level of reality of the vision that god has created in us that's what i mean by working on me oh yes lord thank you bishop mm, okay let, i'm trying to maintain my composure because i could be running right now yeah, but I won't. How how does working on me fit into our mental, physical, and psych psychological well being? Oh, it it in all of them. Um, there is first of all, we are really not separated um, um, beings. So our mm. mental state, our physical state, our spiritual state, our psychological state are all tied. So then when one is off, it can have devastating effects on the other. So then our, our working on us has to identify what is it that's unwhole? Mm. Um, um, what is it that perpetuates unwholeness? 
what what is it that is causing us so then the we we look at the physical um disease and we say we are diseased but it really is we are diseased in who we are that god has created right so then that comes out of multiplicity of things it can come out of um, childhood issues adult children issues um, um it can come out of just not seeing who we are and that something denies us the ability to recognize who God has created us. And so then it manifests itself in various ways in overeating or um, a, a sexual addiction. It manifests itself in, in um, suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideations or the opposite that we are, we are grandiosity. Um, and then it, it, the physical, then we, you know, then all of that wrapped together. And some of, some of us as humans can mask well so that we can look like all those things are at ease. But if you scratch a little bit, then we hmm. quickly come unglued and it, it manifests. So we have to address how these things are affecting all parts of our, our humanity. Oh, wait. With that being said, you talked about wholeness. How do we come to whole, to wholeness as we deal with our own stuff? Well, that's that's a that's a long journey, and <laughs> I think the first thing is that we have to admit that that there are parts of us that are unwhole, and we have to admit that it's not it doesn't make us less human, right? So when we turn on TV and we see all of these, well, I'll say it this way, you know, um, many, many years ago, I was pastoring and we were interviewing children um, for um, girls. Uh, we were doing a girls program and we were teaching them how to interview. And one of the girls said that her aim was to look like Beyonce. And I said, well, baby, Beyonce ain't Beyonce. And she, she looked at me, I said, Beyonce is a created person. I said, Beyonce doesn't wake up looking like that every morning. She has a staff of people that puts on her makeup, that helps her, puts on her hair. Um, she has stylists um, to help her choose. And then when she steps in front of the camera, um, Beyonce is not Beyonce. I said, and if you ever caught any pictures of Beyonce when she didn't have makeup on, or when she wasn't dressed, you see a whole different person. Now, it does not take away her creativity or her energy or her gifts. But if we want to look at how Beyonce looks like, that ain't Beyonce. Hmm. So I think the first thing that we have to acknowledge that who we are is okay. We always need more. That we, we have to acknowledge that whom God has created is basically okay. Secondly, we have to acknowledge there are areas of unholiness and um, and we can't we can't fix things until we confess things. So we have Ooh. to confess that there is a level of unholiness and we have to um, do whatever we need to do. And I'm I'm a proponent of counseling, so I don't I don't I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that sometimes you have to go talk to somebody else who's professional and 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 I don't want to get put off the show but we also have to be very careful 
that just because they're a minister or they have mm -hmm. some biblical teaching does not mean they can give you biblical counseling. And and let me let me because you don't understand if you don't know where they come from, right? Mm -hmm. So um, or what they're so the first thing we have to do is admit. The second we have to confront what what causes that level of unholiness, and that usually needs help from somebody else. And then we can begin to take the steps of rewinding the tape in in our lives and begin to work through what 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 that is. Wow. So for me, so let me, you know, just for some transparency, you know, I'm a child of of incest and um, molestation. And so for years, like many children of molestation, I I took ownership that it was my fault, that the reason why these things happened to me was because something was wrong with me not that something was wrong with the persons who did what they did. So part of the healing is to acknowledge that a lot of what has happened to us is not our creation. Some of it is, but a lot of it is not our creation and mm -hmm. that the enemy got us to believe that it is our creation and we keep trying to figure out what we need to do differently when we need to admit that, we need to say, mm -hmm. When that scoundrel did what the, what what he or she did to me, then then I don't take ownership for his or her behavior. I take ownership of how I respond to it, continually respond to it. I know that's a long answer. I'm sorry. Perfect, 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 perfect. Sometimes you could have kept going with that. I'm sorry, um, Wallace. Go ahead, babe. Now, I, I was just about to say that we have these unrealistic expectations because we have picked up what mm -hmm. someone else put on us rather than mm -hmm. looking at what is our responsibility, what is my participation, what is belongs to someone else. So help us uh, as we try to look at what, how do we address from a wholeness perspective, unrealistic expectations. And and hold just a second, Bishop. Bishop, before you answer that, I don't want us to roll over mm -mm. your being a very transparent moment that mm -hmm. many of our viewers never hear someone just uh, in 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 what we call in in high leadership, perhaps mm -hmm. that that will share such a very tender part um, of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to say to you, thank you yeah. for that level of transparency. And I'm hoping that those who are viewing did not miss what you the just moment. shared. The because, moment. because you just, you you helped just just in saying it. And I'm sorry, it looked like you're just about to, to say something. No, I, no, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, and it ties to unrealistic expectations, so that sometimes in our childhood, because of things that happen to us, or because of people say things to us, we begin to develop unrealistic expectations of ourselves. So one of mine being transparent is, and, um, <laughs> is I was in a household where you just didn't come home with bad grades, right? So, Ooh, you know, right. Uh, yeah, my parents, like you, a C 
was a failure. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that, that right, you know, let's see. My mother used to say, um, um, we'll handle a C if you really can't do the work. But we know you can do the work, so don't bring home no C. But we'll, but don't ever bring home a C in bad behavior. So you get a C in conduct. I mean, that's that's a beat down. But so being the youngest child, mm-hmm. my family are super super achievers, right? So being the youngest child, that was this constant reminder of how successful your my brothers and sisters sister were, right? So um, this notion that I always had to have, I'd always have perfect grades. That was one. And, um, um, or the standards were set for me that um, were really high and I met them. Okay. Well, when I got older and out of the, until I got healed of the sickness of the molest, of the, the pain of the molestation, one of the unrealistic expectations that I set for myself was that I had to always be this high, right? So um, um, when I first started pastoring, um, if I made a mistake on my sermon, I would throw the sermon away um, because there was something in my in my head that said it wasn't perfect, right? My God, today. Um, um, so when I went into counseling finally years, many years ago about the, the childhood issues, um, and I said what I just said about the sermon and the, and the, the, the psychologist got so angry. She said, okay, I'm going to step, I'm going to knock my head off for a moment. She said, so let me tell you what, what these issues have done to you. Most people set a standard of 80 to 90. A very few people state a standard of 100. You set a standard of 130. Mm. Right? And you make 110. But then well, you think cool. that's failure because you originally set a standard of 130, which was extraordinarily unrealistic. And so then you have shame issues because you didn't make 130, but you made 110. So one of the things is that sometimes these issues make us do things that, you know, that's unrealistic. The other unrealistic expectation is that what other people put on us as well, and particularly in the ministry. So, um, pastors have this notion that they have to be all these things, right? So church members demand that a pastor does all these things when one, they can't do all those things in human fashion. And number (laughs) two, they may not have the capability of doing all those things, right? That's why the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and so that there are multiplicities of gifts. So then we we in in leadership and in ministry particularly drive ourselves crazy trying to visit all the sick, trying to meet all the meetings, trying to meet all the expectations, trying to meet all the denominational obligations, and it causes other kinds of um, unholiness in us. That 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 so that's why for the um, many 
uh, ministers. Pornography is a high mm-hmm. issue with our with 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 the with the religious community because we don't know what to do. Um, mm-hmm. Alcoholism, sexual addiction, sexual molestation, or just downright abuse. You know what I'm saying? You know mm-hmm. that the, 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 there's abuse in the home or emotional abuse. So mm-hmm. expectation, unrealistic expectation, are thrust on us when we don't recognize who we are and what we need to do. In the last part of the unrealistic um, ex- an expectation is that women, and I and and I'm, I'm going. I think women have more unrealistic expectations sometimes than men because we are the mother, we are the wife, um, um, we have a secular job or we have a ministry job and then we go into a denominational meeting and then they say, okay, we need you to chair this. And you're looking at your plate and then they, they pat you and they say, oh baby, you know, you're so good, you always get it done. And then they're shamed into Mm -hmm. doing it um, and they do a good job, but internally they don't feel the same level of satisfaction. So I think unrealistic are things that have been grown, been been raised in us, what people put on us and overworked um, that we allow ourselves to do things we know that we physically or emotionally cannot do. Whew. my God, today. So you're talking, go, go ahead. You want to, okay, yes. you're talking about ministry and being, I want to talk about being called to ministry. And one of the things that you've always shared with um, a bunch of us. Dr. Bradford, just before you, you go there, I want to rewind again. Yeah. Just before you hit that. Um, yeah. Um, and 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 perhaps it does move into um, the next question. But generally speaking, Bishop, I'm asking a general question. Do women in ministry, black women in ministry, have the luxury of not trying to reach unrealistic expectations? I think that we always have the luxury on if we is on how we define ourselves. But we are taught that we don't have the luxury. So that's that so we are taught in general that we have to be a good mother. We have to be a good pastor. Um we have to be a good denominational leader. And often the brothers only have one thing to do, to be a good pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, being a father, and that's why I like some of the younger brothers coming up because they are making it a priority that they are going to be a good husband and a good father um, along with the denominational. But that wasn't always the issue. And so many, many men chose, if I'm going to make it, then, then I have to, to meet this formula. But I think what you're asking is women are driven and people are driven intensely. Everybody's driven, but women are driven in a different way because we, we feel like if we don't do these things, um, we're not going to be received. 
uh, we're not going to be accepted. And it puts a lot of emotional unrest and unholiness um, and internal dissonance that even as we're doing it, we're removed from it. And the, and the higher you get, it doesn't change. So you have to decide. These these are the boundaries that I'm going to set. Um, and it's easy for me to say this at 70. Mm. At, at, at 25 and 30, I wouldn't have said that to myself. But now I say to women and men, these are the boundaries that you have to set. If you don't set them now, you'll 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 go most of your ministry not setting them. Um, not setting them. And Bishop, I think we really need to tell people to say to be honest with themselves to say no when they need to say no. Thank you for this honor. I really appreciate your asking me, but no, I can't do that and be okay with saying no. Mm -hmm. But if you hear Dr. Burns' question, for women often, they are not given the opportunity to say no and live beyond it. Mm. And so you have to make a decision um, early in your process. Um, my first year pastoring, I was offered, off, offered a presiding elder position. One year. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't know what paid presiding elder was on the, in the discipline in one year. I mean, I mean, I, and it would have been the first time a female in the Episcopal district would have been a female. I mean, it would have been an elder. It was a remarkable honor, but I knew, I, I know, right? Um, and everybody couldn't believe that I would turn down being a presiding elder. And 20 years later, um, um, almost the same month, I was offered to be the presiding elder, which was much more palatable. I had had 20 years of, of pastoral ministry and and I was still the first. <laughs> so what God had for me is what God had for me and um, I was ready not to fail. I would have fallen in my first year um, of pastoring. So that's one example in which I did, but there are others where I did do things that now I regret that I did for my own mental health or from my family's health or, or you know, whatever. 20 but years you later, about... you huh? were still the first. 20 years later, you were still <laughs> the first. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, 20 years later. <laughs> and 20 years later, when I was asked, I turned it down again. Mm -hmm. And a... Um, Everybody, my mama said, are you crazy? And so, uh, and I remember my brother said to me, now, you know, there's some good things. Everything ain't bad about being an elder. 
And from the moment that I said yes, I mean, the moment that I received the appointment in my hand, I never regretted it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I need to write some of this stuff down, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop, you are helping us today, though. You're helping us today. Um, you talk about um, not reg not regretting um, some inadequacies. I want want you to share with us how do we empower others to acknowledge their own inadequacies? How do you empower others? Um, that's a loaded question. How do you empower? <laughs> so, I think I think communication is always the foundation of everything, mm -hmm. and I think that one has to um, be honest with persons um, in kindness, um, in affirmation. Sometimes with confrontation, and confrontation doesn't mean negative. It doesn't mean fighting. Um, and so that I think as a part of my life witness, and I think as we teach pastors and elders and bishops, um, is that you learn to say what you need to say under the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to say it at the right time that people can receive. And often, unfortunately, it is said when the person has had some failure or diminishedness that that they're more open to receiving it. But I just think that is something. I had this thing um, when I was a presiding elder, um, and um, I didn't realize that it had gotten very. But I would call people in, and I would say, "Now, you know, you have been moved three times in five years, and." Um, you keep taking yourself with you. So let's see what we can do to help you um, address why you think that you've had three churches, you know, mm -hmm. in five years. Um, and then I would listen. And sometimes I would hear things just as simply as I never wanted to pass in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, or um, I wanted to be a chaplain or I wanted to be in Christian education and or I just wanted to be an executive pastor and they forced me to pastor. So what mm -hmm. I would say to them was, well, you know, these are life issues. And so I'm willing as your elder to pay out of out of the out of the fund. It'll come straight out of my check so nobody will know for you to go to counseling. Mm -hmm. So you can have some emotional discernment. Mm -hmm or some mm -hmm. vocational discernment mm -hmm. and um, we'll pay for X number and mm -hmm. then um, um, we'll, we'll regroup. And, and sometimes I would say, and do you think that you're really ready to stay in the pastorate? I mean, you know, cause we're gonna have to move you again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And they would say, no, I, I want out for a year. And I would say, okay. Um, I said, well, then I'm not going to send you to the Ministerial Efficiency Committee. Um, I'm not going to locate you. I'm going to have you supernumerary. Um, so once we work through this, we, and I can tell you, um, not one of them has come back. 
Mm. So the ones that I counseled, the one we talked real straight, that and sent them, they, they didn't come back into pastoral ministry. They came back into some form of ministry, mm. but they didn't come back as senior pastors. And I happy, you know, just mm-hmm. now one or two of them were not happy and hated me, but 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 um because I think that we have to have people live out their truth. Mm-hmm. And we have to have people um um say just because a member says no to me, mm-hmm. um, I don't have to receive that as rejection. Absolutely. Or I don't have to kill them because they said no to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe they needed to say no to you. So I don't know if that answers your question. Bishop, that's that that is really powerful, especially when you talk about dealing with addressing the their 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 inadequacies. But one thing that you said that's really standing out in my mind is how to move forward without taking yourself with you. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? Because that, <laughs> that's 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 meaty. That's meaty. I I ain't where, oh, that's that's a lot of meat. I don't know where I first heard that. I think I heard it from presiding elder Williams, but I heard it years and years ago, and it's always stuck with me that some pastors take themselves with them, meaning mm. that they never learn from Ooh. their experiences. Um, and so um um as a result, then they walk in. Um, there's an expression in, 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 in churches, I'm sure you all have it, that pastors reduce the congregation to what they can handle. So if there's 100 members, they reduce it to 20 because that's what they can handle. Or let's start. So you have 50 members and you reduce it to 20. Then they move you and to 75 and you reduce it to 20. And then they give you 100 and you reduce it to 20. Right. So then the, the it's not a joke, but the statement then is really what they can pastor is 20. Right. And mm-hmm. if we allow them to pastor that 20, they probably can be very effective. Right. But they can't pass beyond 20. So what what I mean by taking a step with you is that all of the issues that you have not worked out, mm-hmm. if you haven't worked them out, then you take them to the next charge mm-hmm. or you take them to the next organization. Yeah. You take them to the next chair. So if um, if you work out your stress by abusing the people, mm-hmm. then when you go to the next church, you abuse the people. Mm-hmm. Right? If you work out your stress by having sexual um, improprieties with women or men or whatever your choice is at one church, and, and there's nothing that's done to confront that, and you, and to empower you to face this expression, to empower you to acknowledge your own inadequacy, then eventually it comes out. So if it's alcoholism or whatever it is, so then we have to say, so I, um, I'm a, um, so we and we can say to them now, don't take yourself this time. Don't go in and and fire the, fire the treasurer and and put your you know, Pookie in as treasurer. Don't go in and fire um, the choir director and put somebody who can't read. Um, so this church has had a musician who can read and, you know, can direct everything, but you only want praise and worship music. So you fire a person, you know, who and you bring in the praise and worship and within a year, 
or this is the one that, that we see a lot is that you raise your salary to a place where the congregation can't afford it. My God. So you go in, in the first 30 days, the first two weeks and say, I need a $5,000, $10,000 increase. And your stewards are passive and say, okay, but by the end of the year, it, the, the money isn't being raised. People have stopped giving. People are very angry. And mm. then, um, um, so a bishop then has to move you. Then you go to the next church and you do exactly the same thing. Wow. That's what taking yourself, you haven't learned. That's what taking yourself with you. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know, they said, they said, you've been compassed this mountain roundabout long enough. It's time to turn. <laughs> and, and many times people go round and round in circles. And you're absolutely right. Doing that same thing that's destructive to the ministry and to the body. Thank you, Bishop. I appreciate that. Another one is dividing the congregation. Ah. So you, you, you get one or two people that you like. And you surround yourself with them, and they, and in modern days, like a Trumpism. So you only hear those people that are very close to you, and then they go in and divide the congregation. Um, so you got each side fighting, um, and that's another that's um, and that's almost a borderline personality. I mean, so um, um, but yeah. Okay, I'm through with that. Any other? No, no, that right there is powerful. But you, you're talking about the call of ministry, and uh, you've shared before. Just because you have a call to ministry, it doesn't mean the church has an obligation to who you define as totally being me. So, can you just expound on that alone? Okay, so, um, so you don't believe in authority. You don't believe in hierarchical leadership, Episcopal leadership, or you don't believe in stewards and trustees, and you believe that the pastor is singularly in charge of everything, right? That is not a Methodist doctrine. And for the truth of the matter, it ain't really a Baptist doctrine. I mean, you know, they're, 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 they're people. So you come in and say, um, um, my, you know, so when you are, um, evaluated by your whoever they use, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, upon ministry, um, we need to pay attention to that because some of those um, analysis will show that. that so, um, so I'll give an um, example. Um, um, you know, I've only been a bishop for four years, but it, it's not... So anyway, the the people were admitted and the bishop said um, um, upon admission said, you know, do you believe in the Methodist form of baptism? 
And the first person said, yes. The second person said, no, it's not in the Bible. And we're talking about infant baptism. And so the third person said, I don't know. And the fourth person said, no. And they are for, they are for a nation? They are for admission. So the bishop said very gently, very calmly, well, to the one who said, I don't know. Said, that's why you're in admission. You know, we'll work, we'll teach the doctrine. So he said to the person that was um, no, said, but he said, I'm concerned about your attitude. And the person said, it's not me. Look, the Bible, now this is admission. Oh, the Bible, the Bible said. So the bishop didn't say anything. The bishop finally said, I hear a motion that he and he will be admitted on trial and he and he will remain in the class of admission, giving the, um, the dean an opportunity to work through. So the person went standing there and so the bishop said, you said one more thing. I'm not going to even leave you in the class of admission. And but people, you could hear groans because this was a favorite kid. And so the bishop said, anybody who is coming up for admissions, who has the boldness to insult the person who ultimately will make the decision is not ready and we don't have to receive him right now, but I'm going to be gracious and allow the dean and everybody to work with him. He never came back because he realized he couldn't take authority. He didn't want um, he didn't want authority. So you may be great, you may be a great preacher, you may be a great, you know, this, but if you can't follow in the 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 disciplinary requirements for what it takes to be a pastor, then no, we have to say, you're wonderful, you're exciting, you have all the prerequisites, but you don't meet, you know. I mean, for somebody to stand up, I you know, and I, I've heard it once, for somebody to stand up and say, well, I don't believe in bishop. Talking to a bishop. Well, you don't want to be ordained. <laughs> you don't want to be ordained. So that's what I mean, that we have to look at the whole, per I think though on the opposite side that we have to be very careful because things like tattoos in my generations, they were not acceptable. At least these big, you know, scenes. Um, does the church, as, as people who are coming in who are very different than we are, that meet the test, I think we have to be careful not to um, turn somebody away because they, they, they don't look like what we expect. I think is where their heart and mind and spirit are. I think those are the, the determinants. So Bishop, with that being said, you're talking about um, the presentation and how they're approaching and, and those in authority 
um, those have the the responsibility of moving them forward or moving them on. How do we tell the truth without harming relationships? Because a little while ago, you talked about uh, surrounding yourself with the people you're surrounding yourself with. And, you know, you, you got the sister in the church uh, and the brother in the church, and they feel at family dinner that you obligated to share. How do you tell the truth? to them without harming the relationship. Now, I, I, I already have it in my mind how I would do it. Now, I need your wisdom to tell me how to do it the right way. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, let me go all the way to the end. There are some times when the relationship will be harmed. Um, so you can't always guarantee that the relationship won't be harmed. You can only pray that um, at some point, um, there will be a reclamation of the relationship. I think speaking truth to power um, and speaking to truth to people who have perceived power, I think it comes with, um, is the, when I was a, a manager in, in, um, um, in secular, that we were always taught to affirm first, you know, show, make the person comfortable. Mm-hmm. ease the person to the conversation um, to talk about the you know a lot of the wonderful things and then begin to lift up language like challenge it um, um, concern um, and begin to talk through that now depending on um, the person's mental state, you can't predict how they're going to respond. Right. And so you have to be prepared for, you hope for the very best of a conversation, but you end up, you may end up having somebody blow up on you. So, um, um, so you end up with somebody saying, you ain't never liked me in the first place and not, you know, and who are you? And, you know, you, and so you have to avoid being lured in, being seduced into an argument um, mm-hmm. at that level. But I think there are two things that we don't do in ministry well, and some districts are doing them, is that we don't do enough feedback ongoing. So that's what the core of the conference is. And so that's why the elder privately should have a conversation. Um, and say these are some of the concerns so that we don't get to the end of the year and say I'm going to move you and and you've not had any conversation with them I think the second is that we ought to have expectations Mm -hmm. and those expectations need to be discussed um, all during the year and that we need to allow people to express without our harming them their perceptions and concerns of what's going on. Okay. Very good. Wow. You you talk about compassion. You also talk about granting grace, but while doing so, you're strong in doing it. And I think you um you capture you captured it as I'm compassionate with grace and strength. Can you talk to us about those three things and how they coincide with working on me? 
And, oh, and, and, and Bishop, if you can do it within about two and a half minutes, we're closing up our okay. time. Thank you. I think the compassionate grace and strength simply means that you are willing to look at yourself even at the same time that you're looking at others. And that what you want for yourself, you want for others. And then you have the confidence and the courage to respond to that um, in a way in which they are, they are made whole in that process. So I will not, I do not have my business sessions on Facebook for my annual conferences because I never know when something is going to be said that may harm a person. So I do worship on Facebook, but I won't do business on Facebook. I've gotten criticized for it, but I just, I won't intentionally knowing that something, somebody may be harmed. Wow. Wow. That's good, Bishop. That's very good. There is a poem that you can go to my YouTube um, called Say Yes to Me. Mm -hmm. And then um, there is another poem that says, I'm free of your expectation. And so it's on YouTube, um, um, Bishop and Henry Byfield. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get to that, but I sure wanted to talk about it. So can you let them know exactly where to go? Again, just, just, just tell us again. <laughs> One okay, more time. It's, um, YouTube and the channel is Bishop um, Ann Henning Byfield. And the poem is Say Yes. And there's another poem that says, I'm free. All right. I plan to be in order with me. And if it means that I'm in order with me, I may be out of order with you. Oh. Oh, no, that's powerful. Y'all better check these poems out because. Um, she is a poet to a heart. Um, artistry is in her blood. So we are grateful that you decided to come this way, Bishop. Um, by thank, thank you. you. Inviting me. Yeah, we are grateful. We are, we are the Bishop, better. Mm -hmm, because of. And before we close out, we do want to note that one of your colleagues um, has commented in the session, uh, Bishop Bashtai McKenzie, and says that you have blessed many people today. Thank you for being transparent. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Thank you, Bishop. Yeah, Absolutely. love you, Bishop. Love you, Bishop love and Bishop. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will, um, if you will hang out backstage for us a little bit, um, we want to share with the people who will be here on next week. Thank you again for being here. Well, next week, when I tell you, we will have none other than Reverend Jewel London, a curator, a creator, an influencer, will be in the house on next week. Come on back next week. Same time, same Timely Wisdom channel. We'd love to see you. Love you. Good time, everyone. Bye. Bye.